Hey everybody and welcome to the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy sitting here with engineer and producer extraordinaire Maddie Rosenberg and Jan Hamoud, trusty assistant, future engineer extraordinaire. So we're ready to go. Um, quite a quite a week. Quite a week with these hearings. Um, it just seems like it's coming at us at a hundred thousand miles an hour. And there's an incredible amount of information, and it's impossible for me at this point to sit back and think, how is Trump not going to be indicted? It just seems like the case is being made so thoroughly, so effectively. And I got to say, I love the optics of, of Benny Thompson, Chairman Benny Thompson, sitting uh, flanked by Adam Kinzinger and... Liz Cheney, because we know that the other side keeps talking about this witch hunt and it's partisan and, you know, you get the feeling when these guys talk, it's like, you know, um, it's like this committee is made up of like Bernie Sanders and his family, right? That's, that's the impression they want you to have. Like this is just one libtard after another on, on, a, on a wild goose chase uh, with no evidence and nothing to back it up. And it's just, just the opposite. Um, you know, the, 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 thing that, the thing that I keep getting going back to in my own head is just how, how easy it is for people to believe what they want to believe despite facts and evidence and, re- and reality, which is the most important thing. You know, the, the truth is, every single one of the people who testified is not just a Republican, but a Trump appointee. You're talking about everybody that was in the, the upper echelons of the Justice Department, his, his cabinet, various aides, his daughter, Ivanka. Um, yet there are still people that um, look at all that. Look at Cheney, look at Kinzinger, and still call it a witch hunt. I, I guess we're dealing with levels of delusion that we've never, ever witnessed outside of the Manson girls and Waco and any other cult you want to you mention. Uh, and so, but watching these hearings, and this week there's been two now, uh, and just getting back to Kinzinger for a second, you know, just as a human being, I get so upset when I hear the criticisms of him. I mean, this is a guy who he's Air Force Special Ops, right? Suited up to defend his country. Uh, he's been a conservative his whole life. Put his life on the line for his country. And he's called a rhino. His his character is assassinated. His conservatism is questioned. His patriotism is maligned. How is, how is that possible? How does someone who isn't certifiably nuts look at him and say, okay, this guy's legit? I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, when you watch it, Maddie, do you get a sense that... Um, those optics and having Cheney, who I mean, we we don't have to talk about her question, her uh, uh, 
bona fides. Like you're talking about two seriously staunchly conservative people. Um, do you think it's having an impact not on the nuts, but on you know the moderates and people in the middle? Yeah, in the beginning, I, I thought, oh, this is not going to have any impact because the first hearing. Now we're up to f- the fifth hearing, and I feel like, yeah, this is actually having an impact on the edges, and it's having an impact when I troll uh, Fox News and I hear Neil Cavuto actually say, as a matter of fact, that you know Trump didn't win the election, and just hearing that permeate. No, it's not going to permeate, you know, Laura Ingram or those things or the nuts, as you say. But I think it is actually having an impact. And I think, you know, the, the horrible thing is what you just said, that these people are being maligned who are doing their duty to the country. And you see someone like um, Liz Cheney, or they're getting death threats that are escalated to the point where they need extra security. It's, it's, it's awful, but I think it's a cult. Yeah, well, it's definitely a cult. It's a cult of personality for sure. You know, the, the, the thing about the cult mentality is, and this is something I can't, I can't stop thinking about because it just seems so freaking crazy. And I understand why Trump does what he does and how he acts and why he acts the way he acts. But in order to believe him, in order to believe the election was stolen, especially now after a couple, two, three weeks of of hearings, you literally have to believe that everyone in the universe is lying except Donald Trump. Everyone, everyone from his daughter to his former attorney general Barr, who we, we, we know for most of his tenure cupped Trump's balls. Um, everyone, they're all lying. I mean, if, 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 if there happens to be any Trump supporters out there listening, and we welcome you. We welcome everyone. This is a big tent, right, Maddie? Yes. A huge tent. Yes. Um, they can call. They leave can a message. call, they can email. Um, if you're out there listening, think of it this way. If, if everyone in your life told you your spouse was cheating on you, everyone from your father and mother, your sister, your brother, your best friends, the guy in the corner deli, they showed you videos, etc. If everyone... Everyone but your spouse said he was cheating or she was cheating. That would be a pretty compelling scenario for you, correct? Yep. You probably wouldn't be like, they're all lying. Somehow, when it comes to Trump, who so obviously is the most self-serving human being ever to step foot in Washington, somehow when it comes to Trump, it's like everybody's lying. They're all lying. Everything is like 62 lawsuits, all the courts are lying. Everybody's in the media. Everybody is lying. I'm just, I don't know, I'm just fascinated by that phenomenon, that mentality that somebody, somebody, tens of millions of people could literally look at the sun and say it's the moon because somebody told me it's the moon. So I don't know, I don't know if the hearings are going to change those people, but I do believe that the people who, whose needle we do want to move, I think it's probably having impact. I mean, the, the people who testified earlier in the week, um, Rusty Bowers, uh, the Speaker of the House in, in Arizona, Republican Party uh, Speaker, um, Brad Raffensperger, 
we all know his name by now, Secretary, Secretary of State in Georgia, and uh, Gabriel Sterling, um, senior official, election official in Georgia. I mean, those guys together with those who testified today, I mean, like I said before, they're, they're all Republicans. They're all Trump guys. They all basically wear like a badge of honor the fact that they voted for him. I mean, like they're not shy about their heretofore fealty prior to January 6th. Somewhere along the line, somehow, I have no idea other than the fact that it was just too far for them. They did the right thing after January 6th. But up until that point, you know, I mean, people are talking like Rusty Bowers is in the, you know, is is godlike, but the truth is, you know, with redistricting and all kinds of things, he's you know, made a career like a lot of Republicans in disenfranchising minority voters and blah, 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 blah. But he he is a hero. He's a hero this week because of what he did. Um, you know, it, it brought tears to my eyes to watch someone like Rusty Bowers have tears in his eyes when he talks about defending the rule of law, the, the Constitution, and preserving and protecting our democracy um you get the same sense listening to sterling and raffensperger and uh any of these guys you know the people who testified today um they're heroes and it's and it makes you it confirms i don't know if you feel the same way but it confirms for me you know it's one thing to to believe that we were this close and i'm holding my fingers up making a really small gesture this close (laughs) to autocracy it's another thing to sit for hours and listen to how and why and to really get a sense of oh my god we we that's not just rhetoric that's not just you know libtard rhetoric that's if those guys just went uh, turn they turned left instead of turning right i mean you know and this guy um uh what's his name um Jeffrey Clark, like who the fuck is this guy? Where did he come? Like, does Trump just like walk into like some cubicle in the Justice Department and go, "Hey, who wants to overturn the government for me? Overthrow the government?" Yeah, and he just raises his hand. Like, it's stunning to me how at the same time we had real heroes, real patriots, we also had way more people, as we know from the last six years, who have been so eager and excited to just throw their reputations and careers away it's it's truly i mean for hundreds of years from now sociologists and political scientists are going to be studying this whole trumpism trumpism phenomenon because if there was ever a man who and i I use that word man loosely by the way if ever was there call, call him a man baby that's what i like to call him so if ever there was a man baby who did not deserve an ounce of loyalty in return uh, um, from the people who uh, worked for him, like he is the last person on earth you would think anyone would give a shit about because he's a constant bullying, abuse, abusive, um, narcissist, uh, cares about no one, cares about nothing but himself and has never demonstrated loyalty to anyone, no matter 
what they do. I mean, just look at Mo Brooks, right? I mean, you can't... I mean, Mo Brooks stood outside the Capitol on January 6th and, and basically helped Trump incite a deadly insurrection. I mean, in Trump world, you can't get more loyal than that, right? No. And, and so what happened to Mo Brooks? Under the bus after, after he did his next move. Yeah, so he, he learned just like the rest of them that it doesn't matter what you do for him. And I, I've decided that, in, in my opinion, what, what rhino, the definition of rhino, what that really means is that someone who basically spent a career in conservative politics, um, who voted for Trump, was loyal to Trump, yet in the end wouldn't break the law for Trump. That's a rhino. Like Liz Cheney's a rhino. Liz Cheney. <laughs> Cheney. When would you ever think that Republicans would ever call a Cheney a, a Republican in name only? And, and so, so that's, that's where we are today. And so we're going to get into the hearings a little bit more. I'm very excited that uh, our guest today is Congressman Eric Swalwell. Uh, he's um, a 15th district out in California. Uh, he's, uh, he, as you know, or perhaps you don't know, he ran for president in 2020, and he's one of uh, the Trump impeachment managers. So we're going to get his perspective um, uh, shortly when uh, we bring him on. Um, the thing also about the, 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 the Trump cult is that in the face of all the evidence, all the lost lawsuits, you still have people saying things like, we feel the election was stolen. Or we know in our hearts it was stolen. What does that mean? <laughs> right? What is, you know, if I said to you, Maddie, look up at the sky, you see the sun, it's yellow, it's starting to hurt your face, right? You didn't put sunscreen on, right? It's the sun. You would never look at me and go, I, it, well, you know what? I, in my heart, I think it's the moon. <laughs> like, wh how, what does that mean in your heart? Like, we don't live in, there's no, we live under the rule of law. So if someone shows you facts and evidence and reality, you're supposed to go, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that. So, and then you start thinking about the things that these people are believing in. Like today we learned that there were Italian satellites, not Jewish space lasers, but Italian satellites that are going in and changing votes from Trump to Biden. Because, you know, the Italians have a reputation for being leaders in cyber attacks. Yeah, or militarily or... In, <laughs> I, I won't go further than that. But, um, and so Italian satellites, like... And, and the, the crazy thing is, is that our Department of Defense investigated this with the Italian government, saying, like, hey, guys... Imagine that phone call. Hey, guys, this may sound a little fucking crazy, but are you using satellites to turn Trump votes into Biden? Nah, we didn't think so. We just, but, but the guy, the big guy asked us to. I mean, it's absolute craziness. And in his own defense, Trump said to this guy, um, Donahue, Richard Donahue, who is the former acting deputy attorney general, uh, as if like they're a bunch of morons. Like, you guys may not be following the Internet the way I do. Now, just think about that for five seconds. 
right? Here's the United States president, the commander in chief, doubting his Department of Defense, his attorney general, because they're not fucking Googling as much as him. Like, it, and, and, and like spending time on 4chan or whatever the hell he gets this shit from. I mean, you got to laugh because it's, it's insanity. You're going to say something, Maddie? No, it's just in- incredible that he actually <laughs> that he actually gave that to both the Justice Department and the Defense Department to investigate. But it makes you wonder um, whether he partially believed that or he felt it was a good ruse to steal the election with. Yeah, well, I, you know, there's a part of me that's still, and to this day, and I don't know if I'll ever conclusively find out in my head, but... Whether Trump believes the shit he says and then goes to find supporting documentation and evidence or whether he knows it's all bullshit, I think what we're trying to what we're starting to see with these hearings is that his intent is pretty clear is that he know like there's a certain point to where if everyone in the world tells you something eight billion times and these people are in the DOJ and they are in the Defense Department and they are in the Supreme Court and every other court in this country and they are in the right-wing media, et cetera, et cetera, then just saying I don't believe it is not a, a, a judicial, judicially accepted defense. Um, you could say I don't believe it's the truth I don't believe it's law I don't believe it's it but that's not how it works I can't rob a gas station right and then go into court six months later and say I don't believe that that gas belonged to Sunoco I think it was the people's gas um, and I took it you know I mean I'd be in I'd be behind bars as, as, you know in five minutes so he he probably just spent you know, which is a whole other conversation is like, is who was actually running the country during all this Google t- Google time? But um, he's... it's probably better he was on the Google. <laughs> true, that is true. Yeah, that. Well, I'm sure the the sociologists and uh, anthropologists and political scientists over time will will conclude that for us. But you know, just imagine this guy sitting around all day like Googling, trying to, you know, like space lasers and Italian like. He's out of his mind. Like, the the other thing that's so impressive in watching these hearings is the level of restraint that these people are demonstrating. Because you know they want, really want to look and, and be like, Mr. Chairman, Donald Trump's out of his fucking mind. Seriously, I mean, he is out of his fucking mind. Somebody should come in with a straitjacket right now and take him away because he's crazy. It, it reminded me of pilots in planes where an engine has gone out and they're talking to air traffic control calmly saying we're, you know, we're at 30,000 feet, losing altitude. Yeah. And you, you know that they're in danger of crashing, but they're simply talking. Well, it's like that guy a few weeks ago who just you know, the pilot died of a heart attack or something. And he's like, all right, I have no experience, but uh, what do you want me to do? Like, what? <laughs> I'd be screaming like a four-year-old. They'd be like, Mr. Ostra, you have to calm down. Please calm down so we can help guide you to the ground. <laughs> um, so the, the, the thing that I loved about this week's testimony is like th- these guys, uh, Donahue and Stephen Engel, who's the former uh, assistant AG for the Office of Legal Counsel, and Jeffrey Rosen, who uh, uh, he, former acting AG, he replaced Sessions, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like they had this meet. There was this meeting that took place, which if 
you know, you, you ever like sit with friends and say like, if we could go back in time, what would you want to be? Like, I used to think like, all right, I'd like to be at Woodstock. That would be fun, you know. But I think I'd like to go back to this meeting, the one with Trump and Donahue, and and Engel and Rosen and Clark, because that just sounds like the most fun thing ever. Even though the subject matter was the overthrow of the government. I thought it was impressive that they were able to talk Trump out of doing what he planned on doing with Clark. I mean, you look at the uh, call logs that they put up today from January 3rd and incoming calls were listed as acting attorney general Jeffrey Clark. (laughs) No, right. But the thing that's crazy is that Trump didn't change his mind because he was like, you know what? Shit, you guys are right. This is horrible for America. This is... What was I thinking? I mean, I, I don't understand. Like, this is not the rule of law. This is not what I swore an oath to defend and protect. No, he didn't do that. He was like, oh, you mean this is going to make me look bad? Totally. <laughs> Shit. You, you guys are going to quit? Really? Come on. Come on. You, don't you want to come to my party next month at Mar-a-Lago? Um, that's why he changed his mind. Because they literally said, if you make this guy A.G., we are gone, everyone, from top to bottom, east to west, hundreds, thousands of employees. The, the, it will be, the, the DOJ will be a ghost town. And he was like, oh, all right, I guess that one will make me look good. It's kind of like, remember when the, the pandemic first started and he wouldn't let the boat, pe- the yacht people. Oh, can't have the numbers The crews, yeah, can't have, let them, let them die offshore That's because the numbers, we don't want the numbers. Um. One of the things I vowed to do over the course of this podcast evolution is to to hone my Trump impression (laughs) because everybody's got one and I I want one too. So, except I can't get out of my head what I really hear every time he speaks, which is just like not even words. It's just like a, a long groan and grunt. It's like one long vocabulary grievance episode. Um, so anyway, so at one point, uh, Clark, who, by the way, is an environmental lawyer, never tried a criminal case, never investigated a criminal case, has no criminal expertise whatsoever. This was Trump's... I think he has expertise at being a criminal. That counts for something. As we saw the FBI raided his house today. That's right. He, they did. The, the early morning raid. You gotta, those are my... Three favorite words. He was apparently in his pajamas outside. No doubt, with like like Trump figures on his uh, on his pajamas, like like and his MAGA cap. Um. So at one point, he's like trying to get everybody to send this letter, you know, to Georgia, to like, hey, we we won, just say we won, like that kind of thing. Anyway, one point, Donahue says to him, uh, "Go back to your office." will call you when there's an oil spill, which to me is the greatest. That is probably one of the greatest moments of the Trump presidency. That single line. That should be on T-shirts, mugs. It should be everywhere. Um, and, you know, because Trump told Donahue at different time, you know, just say the election was corrupt. Leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman. I mean, how... And I say this to the morons out there. Even if you're a moron, is that not smack of intent? <laughs> like, just say the election that we actually lost, we won, and let me do the rest. I mean, 
is that not intent right anyway uh i could go on and on and on uh literally and uh but i won't so i'm excited to bring on our guest today uh he is a five-time congressman from california's 15th district uh he also ran for president in 2020 and he is an impeachment manager uh during the trump impeachment hearing so uh, without further ado er uh, congressman eric swalwell welcome into the back room hey thanks andy for having me on um before we really get into things, I just want to say first of all that I'm a I'm a big fan. I think you're a really smart guy. You're you're really passionate, uh, full of righteous indignation uh, as I am. <laughs> but here's the diff here's the here's the kicker. You've got balls, and uh, you know the thing is, uh, I just got over a bout with COVID, so I had a lot of time to sit in the house and annoy everybody I know uh, with questions for this week and. Uh, this may come as a shock, but there's a lot of Democrats Democrats out there who who wouldn't normally associate their party with people with balls. So my question to you is, why don't why are there more Democrats like you, people who are, who can stand up and and fight against the things that we we see today uh, that need more than just you know good guys in a room? Well. Thank you, Andy. And look, the way I look at these issues is that they're not, at least in these trying times, that it's not about Republicans versus Democrats, it's not progressives versus conservatives, it's not left versus right. It, it really is right versus wrong, freedom versus fascism, and only one of them is going to get out of the arena. It's, like we're, it's kind of like a, it's almost a cage match, and only one is getting out and i'm going to do everything i can to make sure that it's freedom uh, that wins and, and so to me it, it just feels too existential too binary right now to really hold anything back yeah well you on that note you tweeted uh, i think last week you and i quote the fight for the future isn't between liberal versus conservative it's between truth versus lies it isn't between democrat versus republican it's between democracy versus autocracy. Uh, I happen to share that opinion, and uh, unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be a lot of people in, in this country that, that, that share that view uh, that you and I share. Uh, why do you think there aren't more people who don't see this as more than just your usual political difference of opinion, that the, 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 the grave yeah. consequences that we're talking about right now, which is the the death of de potential death of democracy. Why are there tens of millions of people who who still don't get that? What do you think? Well, I mean, I, I would say first, it's our job to make sure they get it right. Like, if they don't get it, then then we have to make sure they do. And and as as far as why they don't, I mean, I I think we could sit here all day and and point the finger at you know a social media that has become rather unrestricted, unrestrained in its ability to just let falsities fly. Uh, and a government that was led for four years by somebody who told thousands, tens of thousands of lies. And so it, it's been dizzying, uh, it's been debilitating, it's been demoralizing. And so that's why I said it, it's it's on us not to put up the white flag, but to, to really wave the red flag, I guess. Um, I, I'll tell you, a couple of days ago, I was sitting at an airport waiting uh, for a delayed flight to board. 
and I, I heard two people sitting next to me uh, talking. I don't think they recognized me. I just had my headphones in and I was uh, just looking at email, uh, but I could hear them loudly talking about, you know, why are we focused on the January 6th stuff? They haven't done anything yet on Hunter Biden's laptop. Is he really going to get away with this? And I just thought, man, like we, we have to we have to connect with more people and we have to overcome, as you just said, you know, the, the lies um, that have been aimed to distract this investigation. And, and so I, I will credit the January 6th commission in that you are seeing the needle move that um, more and more folks are starting to tune in and recognizing how fragile our country is. And, and one colleague of mine who is running in a very tough district for re-election told me uh, on Tuesday night, he said, something is changing. He said, I can't put my finger on it, but at home, something is changing. He said, and he said, we're seeing it with, you know, a small number of Republicans who are starting, you know, when we make our phone calls, knock on doors, go to, you know, uh, the, the farmer's markets, we're just starting to see, you know, concern about what going all in on the other side is. And he said that his staffer told him, well, yeah, but it's only 10 to 20% of Republicans that we're seeing do that. And then his response was, well, God, I mean, that's, if 10 to 20 percent of republicans this election have second thoughts about an insurrection party that that we keep we keep the house we keep the the senate so um it, it may feel like we're not changing enough minds and I, and I may beat my i may beat myself up that the two guys next to me at the uh airport bar are talking about hunter Biden's laptop but if just one republican you know in a room is starting to have second thoughts like that's going to be enough in, in a very you know thin uh, majority that we have, have right now uh, in a, a very uh, pressured electorate. Yeah, well, I think it's all about managing expectations. And, you know, if the if the goal is to win over all of the, the hardcore cultists, that's not a very realistic expectation. But if we're right. looking to peel away, you know, a, a, a small percentage of moderate Republicans and to influence uh, a lot of those people in the middle— uh, which can move a needle on an election, then I, I have to agree with you. I, you know, one of the things I was going to ask you, which you've already uh, spoken to, is that there does seem to be something changing. There seems to be momentum. You know, even just looking at what happened with gun reform, like there seems to be something else that's happening in government right now, in, in, in Washington, uh, among the Republican Party, that I won't quite say they're afraid, but that I think they're perking up and 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 with an eye on the midterms and and not feeling so cocky that this is yep. theirs to win. Um, I still believe Andy, it's, it's, it's such a great point. Yeah, Andy, let me just to, to frame your point. I, I think it's such a great point. Look what's happening right now. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I will vote tomorrow. I will vote on the gun safety bill. And in the Senate, the leader of the Republican Senate, where it's an even majority in the Senate, and they, they have to defend a lot of tough seats. You know, they're defending a tough seat in Wisconsin, an open seat in Ohio, an open seat in North Carolina, an open seat in Pennsylvania, a tough seat in Florida. The leader of the Republican Party in the Senate is voting and delivering the vote to pass a gun safety bill. The leader of the Republican Party in the House is telling his colleagues the exact opposite. So th that's why I, I think, to your point, kind of put a, a button on it. 
this is not Newt Gingrich's contract with America where they were disciplined, they were focused, they were singing off the same sheet of music. Now, these guys are all over the place. And, and, and that's where I think we have an opportunity because so many of them are outside the mainstream. Yep. No, I totally agree. Let's hop back to the, the hearings for a second and go a little micro. Um, and I'll first start off by saying I I think what's happened the last two, three weeks with the hearings is, is fantastic. I think there's a really compelling case that's being made. I think it's an important case that's being made. And I do think it is moving a needle. The flip side to that is, I, you know, again, home with COVID, asking all my friends what they think. Um, I, I'm not sure I understand, like, why... Why are the hearings only a couple of hours? Why are they not all in prime time? Why are we waiting almost another month for the next one? It's like, you know, we've got momentum, right? That's the one thing we can all kind of agree. Like the last week or so, there is some serious momentum. And now like, wah, wah. like what's, what's going to happen? You know, the American people, you know, if we're relying on them to stay with us, that three-week period, that four-week period, whatever... I, I don't know. I mean, is what is is what's being done so far enough? Or you know, when I think about Benghazi and I think about if this was the other side, you know, Hillary testified for eleven hours. They they got her to testify. Some of the people we want won't even show yeah. up. So it's like, as as good as it might seem so far, is it enough? I, so I I would I would rate them as far exceeding my expectations. And I'll tell you why. So first on the length of the hearing, you know, I was a prosecutor. I've given dozens of closing arguments and I learned through experience and through mentors that less is more. Uh, and so I, I do think, you know, these two hour hearings are better than a eight hour hearing. If, if you can really, and you can tell that this team has done their homework they've already interviewed thousands of witnesses. Every witness who is testifying is not testifying for the first time. So you're not asking them a question that you don't know the answer to. So through their testimony, you are animating for the viewers in a succinct, purposeful way what happened. But you're still presenting a lot of new information. So it's not, it's not seen as, oh, well, we already, what are you telling me that I don't know? I mean, every, every, every hearing learning something that we don't know. Now, why are they pushing them into July? I, I would say, they're victims of their own success in that um, information begets information. Courage begets courage. So because the hearings have been, have been deemed credible, I, I believe, by the public, and they have not been panned by the, the, the mainstream, you're seeing witnesses come forward who were not coming forward. And I think the documentarian who has hours of footage of Trump right before, during, and after the insurrection he wanted to come forward and do the right thing. And so now they have to pour over his footage, talk to him, talk to people around him. And, and that, to me, if, if that means they have to kick the hearings out a few more weeks to give us an even more impactful presentation that lands with the American people, I, I would rather that than to just check a box and say, we held a hearing regardless of the time of day. So I, I, I think everything about what they're doing uh, is purposeful and I would just, again, I don't have a single criticism of them. I just want to continue to hear as much as possible that the plotters are still at large and the plotters are seeking to be in charge. That this is not, we're not doing an after action autopsy of what happened. Like this is a present threat. 
um, you know, that, that, that has to stick with the American people so that this is happening again right now. And so when you, when you watch, look, we all know people like uh, Brad Raffensperger. His name has been out there for a long time now, and we, we know his story. But I think this week we were introduced for the first time to people like Rusty Bowers. And I was telling the, the guys here in the studio that I, I literally welled up with tears when I saw him well up with tears talking about his oath to the rule of law and to democracy and to the Constitution. And, you know, if you're sitting back at home and you're wondering, if you're thinking that this is a witch hunt, it's a partisan witch hunt, like every one of these people testifying is a Republican. Every one of them was a Trump appointee. Is it surprising to you that the the depth of the people who were involved to literally push us back off the ledge uh, at the precipice of autocracy? It, it, it's reaffirmed, uh, you know, my faith in in people and in, in public service, and that uh, there were people there who were the firewall against Trump's corruption. And and look, you know, one one of the takes on Bowers because he was asked, I guess, after the hearing, if he would still vote for Trump, and he said if it was Trump, Biden, he would, and, and, and he was panned for that. But to be honest, Andy, I don't give a shit who he wants to vote for as long as he's going to do the right thing. Like if it, it's a free country, he wants to, to vote. Donald Trump after everything Donald Trump put him through, fine. That's his right. But if he's in a position of power and, and we already know that he's not going to bend because of a corrupt president, that's what matters to me more right now. And, and so I think to to what you said, like that that was encouraging. But if Donald Trump is elected again uh, to the presidency, he will learn from his past mistakes. He will completely corrupt the agencies that decide, you know, our elections and, and carry out justice. He, he, he will have learned from that, that timely faithful uh, to you and the cult. And, and so he will learn from that. And, and we won't have, you know, people like Bowers uh, in state legislative, in, in state, statewide positions. And we won't have people, you know, like Donahue and others at the Department of Justice. And so do you, so do you think he's going to be indicted? To, to your to your point, and should he be indicted? Well, I, I would just say the, the number of people who have had their homes searched and <laughs> where those people land as far as closest to Trump should concern him, right? Because this looks to be a, you know, bottom-up or outside-in classic uh, criminal investigation. And this was the largest crime, you know, committed against our democracy. And so and he was at the center of it. And then so I, I leave it to the attorney general. I, I think there's overwhelming evidence uh, of Trump's guilt. And I recognize, as I said, as a prosecutor of making sure you have a case you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt. But the trick with Trump, I think, is that because he commits his crimes in plain sight, there's this who would be too stupid to say it out loud element here where we think, well, maybe there's something he's concealed when he really hasn't concealed anything because he thinks he's above the law. And right. it, and that that shouldn't be a shield for him. That should be you know, his weakness. So you have the distinction of, of uh, being a, a, a congressperson who has filed a lawsuit against 
not just Trump, but uh, the off the evil offspring, and uh, Rudy and uh, is it Mo Brooks? Right, Mo Brooks. That's right. Um, yep. In a in a nutshell, for our listeners, can you just give the elevator pitch on what this the suit is yeah. and and uh, if there's been any recent developments? Yeah, so the, the suit seeks to hold uh, Donald Trump and you know others around him responsible for assembling the mob, telling the lies that incited the mob, and then aiming the mob at the Capitol to stop me and my colleagues from conducting a count, and then the, the trauma that ensued uh, on me and my colleagues, you know, and, you know, our democracy. And so we actually, uh, the, the hardest motion in all of the proceedings is called a motion to dismiss. And so Donald Trump asserted that he had absolute immunity because he was president at the time, and we recently defeated his motion to dismiss in, in federal court. So it is now, he's appealing his motion to dismiss, the, the ruling on the motion to dismiss now to the circuit court and we're hoping to have an update uh you know on when we will argue before the circuit court and we hope that happens you know before the fall right and and brooks has lost his immunity right um for his so, role so, on so the house did not yeah what brooks asked the house counsel uh the lawyer for the house of representatives to declare that brooks was immune uh because he was working for the house at the time the house uh, counsel said, no, you were not immune. This, this, this is not in your scope of employment does not include inciting a mob. The court though, just one of the anchors here, the court did dismiss on Brooks, um, which is fine. We, we have preserved what we think we have to do. If we want to appeal that the most important actor in this scheme is Donald Trump, who is the architect of the insurrection and Trump's motion to dismiss was thrown out. And so we are proceeding against Trump. And look, I, I think he is in a season of legal reckoning right now where uh, criminal and civil uh, complaints uh, are, you know, kind of gathering momentum. And he's going to face that uh, very soon. And so overall, I mean, I'm an optimistic guy. I try to be as glass half full as I can. Uh, uh, is there any reason for optimism about anything substantive? I know we just saw the, the gun reform bill uh, make historic uh, progress through uh, uh, in a bipartisan way, but just all the things we're talking about, which for the last six years have been so heavy and so dangerous and so threatening to our very, I mean, it's just an existential crisis that we've never experienced. Is there, is there reason for optimism about anything? If, if you want to talk to the yes. glass half full people out there? <laughs> yes. I would just say if we want it, we can have it. And if we're willing to work hard enough for it, and fight for it, we can have it. And I'm not saying that it's going to be easy, but I do believe that an overwhelming amount of Americans still want a country that believes in freedom, freedom to make your own healthcare decisions about your body, freedom to vote and, and that we choose voting, not violence, freedom of freedom from, you know, violence, you know, freedom that you'll be able to hug your kid when they come home from school and you won't have to worry about them. the freedom to dream because we invest, you know, in the future. And so if we through who we register now, who we keep engaged all the way to November, 
who we mobilize and, and march to the ballot box, we can win. And, and, and we're not demoralized at all. I, I see this in the people who show up for the marches. I see this in the people who show up you know, to community events, uh, people who have high expectations about what they want us to do. This is not 2010. Uh, this is going to be, I, I, I think Sean Maloney, the DCCC chair, said it's a night fight and 40 phone booths, about 40 right. districts that are going to be competitive. And the difference is going to be between 1,000 and 2,000 votes in each district. This is not a red wave that, that is hitting us. I think the worst hit us in 2020 when the Trump surge beat a lot of good Democrats who had even more votes in 2020 than they did in 2018, but the Trump surge washed them out here in a very divided country, uh, we are competing for a small pool of the electorate. We're motivated. Clearly, the Republicans are motivated. Uh, but we believe in community. They believe in chaos. And, and if we frame it that way, uh, I think we can have what we want. We just have to be willing to work for it and fight for it. And so do you think a culture war issue like, you know, the Roe v. Wade and abortion, like that's going to have an impact uh, in moving that needle for November? And that's what I yeah, keep yeah. hearing I, I said yes, and, and if we frame it around freedom, again, it, right. it's it's about your freedom to make your own decisions, not the government, not a government mandated pregnancy, but you choosing what you want for your body. And again, the Republicans, they used to be the party when it came to abortion. They would put in, you know, exceptions for health of the mother, uh, rape, incest, etc. Right. They don't even put that in anymore and, and that's why they're so far outside the mainstream and, and, and look at them on guns recently in a, a poll from a group called 97 percent 97 percent this organization they polled just gun owners thousands of gun owners 87 percent wanted background checks 76 percent wanted safe storage laws 67 percent wanted red flag laws so the republicans they're not just outside the mainstream of america they're outside the mainstream of gun owners and, and that's where i I think if we permit uh, as to what the consequences are of electing Republicans right now, uh, this MAGA Republican chaos party, we can win and, and we can make we can build on the infrastructure package that we pass. We can build on, you know, the Recovery Act that you know still needs to uh, you know see relief for restaurants and, and more COVID dollars uh, for schools and medical centers that have been hit by it. And we can build on the Build Back Better agenda that did not, you know, fully make its way through. So there's a lot we can do, but it's not going to be easy. Like, it, it, we can't wish our way uh, into the majority. Right. I agree. And I, I do believe that the, the midterms is, uh, is ours to lose. Uh, one last quick thing before I let you go. What, what we're doing here at the back room, uh, because music is such a window into someone's soul. We started asking people for their top five artists of all time. Actually, last week we had Paul Rudd on, and we even asked him what his top five ventriloquists of all time were. And believe it or not, he named off five ventriloquists in a matter of like he 30 knew five seconds. ventriloquists. He knew five ventriloquists, and so we're not gonna we're not gonna do that to you unless you know no, five. No, 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 but, no. But but we do want to know quick top five of your musical artists of all time. Uh, I mean, my my top top Taylor Swift. One of the biggest Swifties, I think, not just in wow. Congress, I think in the house. I would not have gone um, there. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I love you too, um, the band, but I do love your show. Oh, um, I would say, in the in the country realm, uh, I'm a huge uh, Eric Church fan. Uh, also, mm -hmm. I think his work uh, in, in gun safety uh, is good. I'm going to put the Rolling Stones uh, in my top five. And then I have to say Bob Marley. I mean, that's just, you know, 
whoever who yeah, man. turn off Bob Marley if he's on the radio. So there you go. All right. Well, listen, this was great. We hope uh, you'll come back sometime, uh, perhaps uh, when you win your win your lawsuit uh, or before. And uh, we appreciate your time and uh, good luck out there and keep fighting. We All appreciate right. it. Of Take course, care. Thanks, Andy. Of course, get Bye-bye. better too. All right. Thanks. All right, that was a great interview with uh, Congressman Eric Swalwell. He's a really, um, uh, he's a fighter for for truth, justice, and the American way, as we say in the comic world. I'm not in the comic world. I don't know why I said that. Um, One last thing I want to mention, which is, uh, I think it's, I'm going to say half comical, half serious, but it's actually 99.9% serious. It's the, the Texas GOP convention that happened last weekend. This is the official platform of the Texas GOP. This is not some rogue little, you know, Tea Party band within the... This is the Texas GOP platform. And I'm only going to give you the highlights. Okay, so Biden was not legitimately elected. January 6th wasn't an insurrection. Let's repeal the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Life begins at fertilization. Fertilization. Homosexuality is, quote, unquote, an abnormal lifestyle choice. Texas should secede from the U.S. And uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw, you know, the guy with the also special ops, Air Force, I think, whatever, or Navy, he served his country admirably and lost a freaking eye in the process. So he gets props. Uh, they called him eye patch McCain. And why do they do this? Because he was critical of Russia. And I'm going to repeat that for the kids at home who didn't really understand it the first time. Because he was critical of Russia. That's today's Texas GOP. So the question I ask is where, where do we go from there? <laughs> right? Like, you know, talking with Congressman Swalwell, it's like, all right, we have reason to be optimistic and, you know, the midterms could, you know, we could hang on to the house and the Senate and blah, 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 blah. But then, you know, I put my, my glass half full hat on and I think, is that the beginning? What's happening in Texas, especially if you lump it in with everything else we're seeing, is that the beginning of our future? Or or are we we headed to brighter days? I don't know. Maddie, you got an opinion on that? Jen, do you have an opinion on that? <laughs> I mean, because that's, that's not just like, you know, we believe in lower taxes. We believe in deregulation. That's, we're fucking crazy. We're certifiably crazy. It's Texas. That's really all we can say. Yeah, Texas has Beto. If he can win. And, and Mark Cuban, like there are cool people in Texas. And they have Austin. And they have Austin. Right. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I was shocked when I saw that. I was absolutely, utterly shocked. And it made me think that we're fucked. We're fucked. But, but, in the end, the optimistic Andy wins out. And I agree with you that it is Texas. Uh, and that might be the reason why, whether it's next year or two years from now or three years from now or 10 years from now, Texas will be blue. Texas will be blue because the, the element that subscribes to that kind of insanity 
is shrinking. And we talked about that with the congressman. And that's where I think for me, when I go to bed at night and I lay my head down and I decide whether I'm going to have serious nightmares or whether I might have an actual good night's sleep because I think the future can look brighter. That's where I go because I, I think we're always going to have racism. We're always going to have violence. We're always going to have crazy. But I don't think we're always going to have Trump. I don't think we're always going to have Trumpism. And I don't think we're going to have a Republican Party over time that is ruled by the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Gosar and uh, um, uh, Mo Brooks and all these people who, by the way, are actively seeking pardons or soft, soft pardons from Donald Trump, uh, as uh, Adam Kinzinger said today. There's only one reason why you, you, you request a pardon. It's because you committed a crime. I don't know about you guys, Jen, Maddie. I, I've never requested a pardon from anyone. And that's because I, 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 I'm not guilty of committing a crime. I don't need a pardon. You don't commit the crime. You don't need the pardon, right? So the fact that like Georgia, like Arizona, Texas might be the next big chit to fall our way. All right. That's definitely reason for optimism. So I'll give you the pessimism. Oh, here we go. We're getting it, folks. Get ready. <laughs> Do we have that 10 years? <laughs> Um, we do because, well, yeah, I mean, is this, is this the, are we going into the climate change part of the conversation? No, I meant, do we have 10 years of democracy to, to protect um, for Texas to turn blue? Well, that's the question. Uh, uh, if I knew the answer to that, I'd, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. I'd, I'd be working for, uh, Congressman Swalwell. On his optimism team, you'd be selling <laughs> NFTs. Yeah, whatever that is. Do you, do you guys know what NFTs are and all that? Crypto and what is it? The, the what's that, the other? We thing? could do another show about the scams. Crypto. No, what am I thinking of? Um, bit. No, not Bitcoin, but like um, blockchain. When I fight, when someone walks up to me and says block, I really want to smack him in the head. It's like what I used to feel about bandwidth. I'd be like, grab him by the collar. And go, what? What? What is bandwidth? Okay. I need to know what this is. Now it's now it's blockchain. Well, bandwidth isn't the Ponzi scheme, <laughs> but but, but, blo but blockchain might be. Oh, great! Absolutely great. Um, all right, kids. Thanks for uh, listening. Um, you have it right there. Episode two in the can. Um, don't forget, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, so leave us a message at eight four five three zero seven seven four four six. That's 845-307-7446. Or shoot us an email at backroomandy at gmail.com. Uh, and like I said, if you uh, behave yourselves, maybe we'll read some of this stuff on the air. Um, you don't have to agree with us. You don't even have to like us. Just be nice. <laughs> like Mama used to say, just be nice. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say it. Um, once again, I want to thank uh, Maddie Rosenberg and... Jen Hamoud, the amazing engineering uh, opinion team. Uh, and a big thank you again to our guest, Congressman Eric Swalwell. So keep your eyes and ears on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. And we hope you'll join us again for another episode of The Back Room. Have a great week.